The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine head, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Tonight I want to preach a sermon entitled this, Teaching Modesty to My Children. Teaching Modesty to My Children. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray tonight you'd help us as we look at a very delicate and, uh, and tender subject, but Lord, a very, very important subject. Lord, a subject that uh, through much carefulness needs to be preached on. I pray that uh, the spirit of the message tonight would be received uh, appropriately. And Lord, may my heart uh, come through on this. And God, I pray that um, where, uh, where you touch in a heart for change, Lord, that um, we would not resist that. Lord, this message is not just aimed at the ladies, it's aimed at the men just as well. And so may we all be quick to hear and then, Lord, quick to do according to how you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If you ask the average person, what, is, what are the things that Baptist preachers like to preach, generally you get one of two answers. Especially the preachers, the Baptist preachers of the old guard. They either like to preach on tithing, or they like to preach on standards. Tithing or standards. If you have come here for any length of time, then you know that these are topics that I don't touch a whole lot. In the nine months I've been here, I've only preached about tithing once, uh, and this will be my first time preaching on dress standards. Let me say tonight, it is my responsibility as your pastor to preach the entire Word of God. The entire Word of God. I have been called by God as your pastor to hold the Bible high so that it can help each and every one who attends this church to understand exactly what it says. My plan moving forward is to preach one sermon every fall on tithing and by and large to leave the topic alone. And every, and once a year in the spring, and I'm going to switch up the date, amen, so you won't know when it is, uh, but in the spring, somewhere in the spring, to preach a sermon about how Christians ought to dress. The reason for preaching about the biblical dress standard in the spring is because, well, the weather's changing outside and as it warms up, people like to take their clothes off. People like to take their clothes off. When it's cold outside, people cover up. And it's not an issue, but then it warms up and everyone decides it's time to start shedding the clothes. This evening, my sermon is going to take the angle of teaching modesty to our children. There are two types of attitudes that pastors have when preaching on this topic. Some pastors preach the Bible with a whole lot of love and compassion and, and care. Some pastors scream and they beat the pulpit and they, they take the Bible and they whack people upside the head and they preach down to the people. 
Let me ask you a question. Why do some pastors have a bad attitude while they preach? Why do some pastors make you feel like that they're taking you behind the woodshed and they're verbally giving you a whooping? Um, Probably because they preached on this topic in a kind manner and they didn't get anywhere with their people. So the pastor resorts to fleshly preaching and Bible bullying in order to get people uh, to dress in a modest and Christ-pleasing way. Now, at the end of the day, it is my job to share the information from the Bible and to encourage you to abide by it. It is not my job to make you do it. It is not my job to make you do it. It is your job to take the information and make sure that your wardrobe lines up with God's standard. I'm going to stand in front of God one day and I'm going to give account to God on whether or not I preached the entire council and I did it with a heart of compassion and love and in a Christ-like manner. I am not going to give account to God one day whether or not you are obedient to what it says. Now, I want everyone to understand that this topic is not easy for me to preach. It's not easy for me to preach. However, it is necessary. It is necessary. My intention tonight is not to judge anyone for the way that they are dressed. My goal is to simply present exactly what the Bible teaches so that you have all the information. At that point, it is up to you to decide whether or not it will guide you, the truth will guide you, or whether you will live in opposition to what the Scripture says. You might ask, does White Oak Baptist Church have a dress code that I must follow in order to attend or be a member? And the answer is a very loud and emphatic no. No. There is no dress code. At uh, one church I worked at in Glen Burnie, Maryland, uh, the pastor who had been there for 40, 30 or 40 years, back in the 70s when mini skirts were in, you remember, you guys remember when mini skirts were in? Uh, they would, uh, they had a couple of weeks and the pastor had gotten some bad advice. Whereas the ladies would come in the front door, they were mini, wearing a miniskirt, and Usher would hand them a paper skirt to wear. Bad idea. Bad idea. In fact, here it was 2009, 2010, 2011, 40 years later, and I'm knocking on doors, and ladies are coming to the door. Oh yeah, I went to church. They handed me a paper skirt, and I never went back. Bad idea. There's no dress code here. And we're not going to look down on someone or be judgmental towards someone that comes into our church that is not dressed in a modest and scriptural way. That's not at all the intention. As your pastor, and I believe I can speak on behalf of our deacons, we are thrilled to death that you are here. And we never, ever, ever, ever want you to feel as though that we are judging you for the way that you are dressed while at our church. Listen, this church is not meant to be a museum for perfect people. This is not meant to be a place where people come and they're dressed pretty and modest on the outside and they have a heart that's filled with, as the Bible describes the Pharisees, dead men's bones. 
This is meant to be a spiritual hospital. And we want people coming in that look like they need the medicine of God's Word for their soul to be healed. And if somebody comes in this church and they don't look like us, they're not dressed like us, they don't act like us, they need to feel loved and embraced and warm. Can I tell you that if uh, if my father's youth group had not handled him that way, I would not be alive. I would not be standing here right now. My father got saved when he was 14 years old, 15 years old, walking on a Sunday afternoon through a health spa parking lot. He uh, was given the gospel by someone, and the health spa was being rented to be a church. He was given the gospel by someone who was leaving, uh, and and the guy led him to the Lord there and gave him a ride over to play basketball, picked him up that night. My dad was a 70s hippie. If you see him now, you, how, how would that be a hippie? But uh, he had hair down below his shoulders, and he came into church that night, and he had a, a shirt on, probably with a peace sign, and hair below his shoulders. And he walked in, and all the teenagers in the youth group, clean-cut haircuts, shirt and tie, girls were dressed the hilt, and they made him feel loved. And had they not, by his own testimony, he would have not come back. He would have not come back. The goal here is not to judge someone by the outward appearance. And that's not the goal tonight. This church is not meant to be a museum. And if you're here tonight and you are not going to take the counsel from God's Word, you're going to ignore it, I still want you to come and I still want to have an influence on you. The purpose of the message tonight is to make anyone is not to make anyone feel as though they're not welcomed here. It is simply to help everyone to understand exactly what God wants us, or rather how God wants us to dress. What you and your family do with the information is 100% totally between you and your God, not between you and me. I've grown up in the Baptist movement. I've been a Baptist since I was born. As the old saying goes, Baptist born, Baptist bred. When I die, I'll be Baptist dead. Amen? I'm glad I'm a Baptist. But I've seen a lot of Baptist pastors really handle this topic in a very ugly way. I've seen pastors get up and bully people from the pulpit. Ramrod dress standards down throats. And when I say standard, I mean things that aren't even in the Bible make the people feel like they've got to do that. And yes, all the ladies and all the men dress a particular way, but when the pastor falls in a sin or the pastor leaves, when the pastor leaves, the dress standards leave. I don't want you to adopt my family's dress standards per se. What I want you to do is I want you and God to figure out where you're going to draw the line so that you and God are right with each other. There may become a day where I fall into sin or there might come a day where I resign and leave. I hope neither one of those things happen. I hope I die your pastor 40 years from now. I really do. I mean that with all my heart. But whenever my time ends and the next pastor comes, if your standards are built on the rock of Jesus Christ, they'll stick. They'll stay. And so the goal isn't to take my family's standards and force them on you. The goal is for you and God to develop dress standards. And really, that ought to be the principle for all standards. Tonight, I want for us to look at five principles. Five principles about how a parent can teach their children biblical modesty through the way that they dress. Point number one of the message is this. It's authority. 
authority. Look with me down at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7. The Bible says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Teach them diligently. Many times I've been out shopping with Angela. She's been shopping. I've been tagging along trying to have a happy wife so I can have a happy life. Amen. But I've been out shopping uh, with Angela or she's been shopping and I've been tagging along and really just kind of following her around and looking at her and, and thanking God that I'm married to a beautiful woman. But uh, I've been shocked. I've been shocked by the way some of these teenage girls dress. You know, guys know what I'm talking about. They walk around and hardly anything. And I gotta fight off this temptation, and Angela sometimes has even holding me back. I've never done this, but I've wanted to walk up to one of those girls and say, Young lady, where is your father? Where is your father? If you have a father that lives in your house, how in the world did he permit you to walk out of the door looking like that? Many times parents want to be seen as the authority outside of the four walls of the house, screaming at the kids and correcting the kids and, and yelling at the kids. But inside the four walls of the house, when no one's around, the kids are in charge. The kids do whatever they want. Let me just say tonight, don't be afraid to upset your child by telling them no. 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 In our home, when our children were little, they were not allowed to say no. But we said no a lot. In fact, when they were really little, we treated no just like we treated curse words from their mouth. We told them to do something. They weren't allowed to tell us no. And today, they well, now they don't even try it because they learned the hard way. Amen? But I will tell them no when they're pushing me to do something wrong. Don't be afraid to tell your child no. Do not be afraid to fulfill your role as a parent based on the way that your child will respond. Some parents are afraid of conflict. They don't want conflict from a child and so they conquiesce and they give in and they allow the child to have their way just to avoid the conflict. And I'm here to say, stand up and have the conflict and say no. Now do it in the right spirit, but don't be afraid to tell your child no. By the way, the younger your child is when you begin to correct him or her, the easier it will be when they get older. If you tell them no when they're this little then you don't have to tell them no as often when they're this little. And then they get bigger and bigger, and guess what? Their will is broken. Get your child used to being told no against their will. Listen, I'm, I'm just this is very practical parental advice tonight. I don't know how many parents we have in here uh, with small children. Some of you will be parents one day probably, and others of you have small children at home. Others of you can tuck this away and share this with your children as you are becoming grand, uh, uh, grandparents. Uh, but let me just uh, add this in tonight, that if you will break the child's will before they're old enough to remember, then there's no issue. If you don't want to break that child's will, you're going to battle and battle and battle and battle. Don't ask your children if they want to do something. Can you come and sit down on the couch? Oh, you don't want to sit on the couch? Oh, that's okay. No, no, no. You sit on the couch and you stay there until I tell you you can get up. And if you don't like it, 
Well, you're going to get in trouble. There's going to be consequences. Now again, with the right spirit, but be firm. Be firm when they're little. Authority. Dad, Mom, if your daughter ever passes in front of you to leave the house and her outfit causes you to look twice, then you need to turn her around. You need to turn her around and send her back to her room to change into something more modest. If she gives you a bad attitude, then you don't allow her to go anywhere. If you are consistent with this, she will get the message that you are trying to communicate. Point number one of the message is simply this, authority. Point number two, and this is where we'll spend the majority of the time tonight, and that is admonition. Admonition. Let me give you three. Well, first let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7 again. Notice there it says, And thou shalt teach Teach them diligently unto thy children. To warn does not mean to reprimand or dictate. Notice the word teach there in verse 7. The word teach there means many different things. One of the other ways that the English translators translated that Hebrew word in the English in other places where it fit better was the word repeat. How do you teach somebody something? You repeat it, and you repeat it, and you repeat it, and you repeat it. How many of you as parents have learned that if you really want your kids to learn something, you're going to have to tell them a few times? You don't just tell them once and walk away. you got to nail it in their head. and nail. It. How many of you know as adults that it's the same way for you? If someone's really going to teach you something, they've got to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Come back next spring, I'll preach the same sermon. Amen? That was supposed to be funny. We are to repeat, we are to repeat if we want to inspire a strong sense to learn. And by the way, when you're repeating it, don't just repeat the same line over and over and over again. You know why children many times roll their eyes at their mom and dad? Because mom and dad use the same catchphrase over and over and over again. It's like, mom, will you please figure out another way to say that? How many of you grew up and your parents used the same catchphrases? And you said to yourself, I'm not going to do that to my kids. And then you catch yourself doing it to your kids. Just listen, be creative on how you're trying to teach your kids. It will keep them from being tempted to roll their eyes. Let me quickly give you three sub-points on this idea of admonition tonight. Letter A is gender. Gender. I read a news story sometime back about a clothing designer for the company J. Crew. This woman who was employed by J. Crew was uh, birthed a baby boy and she decided to paint his toenails pink. Did anybody see or hear that story? Anybody hear, see or hear that story about the J. Crew designer that painted their, her, her son's toenails pink? Do you want to know what your pastor's opinion is on painting a boy's toenails pink? Do you want to know what it is? If you, even if you don't, I'm going to tell you. I believe that you should never, never paint a boy's toenails any color, much less the color pink. Can I get an amen? Anyway, the reporter that was covering the story made a very solid point. Listen to this. He said, I don't see what the problem is. Girls have been acting like boys for decades. What is the problem with a boy acting like a girl? Ouch. Ouch. What is the opinion of God on this? Turn over with me to Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5. 
Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, for many Christians, they resent this verse, but it is in the Word of God, it is in the canon of Scripture, it can't be denied, it can't be ignored, it is just as valid, it is just as accurate and true as John 3.16. There it says, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. You might ask, pastor, what exactly does this verse mean? Let me put it in very simple terms for you. Men should not wear clothing that belongs to women, and women should not wear clothing that belongs to men. That's as simple as I can make it. Someone says, but that law, that that verse, that's only for the Israelites. Well, let's back up a minute. I have taught from this pulpit consistently since I've been here that all all Israeli law gets broken down into one of three categories. Okay, You have civil laws. You have dietary laws, and you have moral laws. Okay? Moral laws and civil laws. The question is this, does Deuteronomy 22.5 fall under a civil law or a moral law? And that verse answers the question inside of itself. Look back at the verse. It says there at the end, For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. What does it mean to be an abomination? It means that when you go against this verse, it makes God want to puke you out of His mouth. That qualifies this as being a moral law. Now, if you want to argue that, okay, alright. Let's say there's a 50-50 chance that that is a civil law. Do you want to take a 50% chance of being an abomination to God? Boy, I don't want my wife and my daughter to, to run that risk. I don't want to run that risk myself with the way I dress. I don't want to run that risk. Listen, if it looks like it pertains to a woman, I'm not putting it on my body. For this very reason, again, this is a standard. A standard's different than a conviction. A conviction is the defined line in Scripture between sin and righteousness. A standard is that fence away from the line to protect me from falling across it. So this is, again, and I'm not trying to impose my standards on you. My standard for me is that I don't wear any jewelry other than a ring or a watch. You'll never find me wearing a pretty little uh, a bracelet hanging off my, my wrist. You won't find me with a necklace hanging around my neck. Why? I do believe that those are items that belong or pertain to a female. You say, can you prove that? Well, First Peter talks about the adorning with jewelry as being something that belongs to a woman. And again, I'm not going to say it's it's... Set in stone, I'm saying for me personally, that's a standard I put between me to make sure... Look, I might get to heaven and find out, Richard, you could have wore a bracelet. You could have worn a necklace. You know what I've been saying to that? Okay, I'm glad I didn't. I'd rather have it that way than get to heaven and say, you should not have been wearing those items. If it's gray, stay away. If it's gray, stay away. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 says this, Know ye not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit, or the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. And again, these are people, this is the state that we're all in before we get saved. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Now, the word effeminate, if you're taking notes tonight, let me, let me have you write this down. The word effeminate means someone that acts outside the boundaries of their gender. 
Someone that acts outside the boundaries of their gender. Let me just be very, very clear tonight. We live in a world that is trying to push boys to act like girls. And we live in a world that's trying to push girls to act like boys. The other day I went and got my hair cut at a barber shop. Not a hair salon, a barber shop. And it felt good. Amen? Why? Now, there's nothing wrong with this salon. I've gotten my hair cut in salon plenty of times. But, there, listen, the idea there is is that I don't want society pushing me toward the middle. If God made you to be a man, embrace your manhood. If God made you to be a woman, embrace your womanhood. Don't try to look like a man if you're a woman. And if you're a man, don't act and try to look like a girl. Embrace who you are. And all of these people out there, they say, well, I, I am trapped in the wrong gender body. And I say to that with as much love and kindness in my voice, no, you're not. No, you're not. They say, but pastor, there are people who were born as a girl inside of a boy's body. And I'm going to say to that, that that's just not true. Now, you might be disposed, have been disposed, predisposed to sin in your childhood that has warped your thinking or confused you, but God can renew your mind, Romans 12 teaches. And I don't say that with meanness in my voice. I don't say that with ugliness in my voice. But I'm here to say that God wants men to look like men, and He wants women to look like women. You ever been walking down the sidewalk, and you look across the way and you go, I'm not real sure if that's a boy or a girl. How many of you ever had that happen? Let that never be said of you. Someone ought to be able to see you from a long, long, long ways away and go, oh yeah, that's a girl. Oh yeah, that's a boy. And when they get up on you, they ought to be even more convinced of it. God wants boys to look like boys. He wants girls to look like girls. And by the way, men aren't better than women and women aren't better than men. We're different. Just accept it. We're different. And embrace it. Have you ever seen these motorcycle preachers? I'm making a larger point here. Let me back up and read you a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 and 20 says this. It says, whoa, whoa, I'm way off on my notes here. Let me, let me go back to the other side of the page. Letter A, we see gender. Letter B, let's see conservative. Conservative. This is your pastor giving you some admonition when it comes to this idea of dress standards. And again, I don't want this to be my opinion. I want this to be God's opinion being showed to you. So we're going to use a lot of Bible tonight. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. The Bible says, Whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel. Now, uh, the Pentecostals, the old school Pentecostals, would use this passage to say that women should never wear any makeup, they should never wear any jewelry, and I would say that if this is what that verse means, then it also means that women are not supposed to wear clothes. That's not what that verse means. Women, wear clothes, amen? That's very important. Put clothes on. God gave them to you for protection and, and for modesty and all those things. There's nothing wrong with wearing makeup. If the barn needs painting, paint it. Amen? That was supposed to be funny too. How many of you are offended by this? No, don't raise your hand. Nothing wrong with wearing makeup. There's nothing wrong with wearing jewelry. But the greater point here uh, that's being made is that what's in your heart ought to be more decorated than what's on the outside. What's on the outside? The outward appearance is not as important as the inward appearance. In fact... Some people's outward appearance is offensive to the sake of the gospel. 
You should not wear jewelry, clothing, or makeup in a way that is gaudy or ostentatious. Ostentatious is not wearing, uh, not when you wear, uh, not when you are wearing makeup, but when your makeup is wearing you. Right? Ostentatious is not when you are wearing jewelry, it's when you are falling over because you got so much jewelry on. And it's more about the jewelry you're wearing than anything else. And it's flashing it all around and look at me, 1 Corinthians, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and, and verse 19. Hold your place in Deuteronomy. We're going to be back there when we get to point number 3. Everybody okay tonight? We doing okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19. The Bible says there, this is Paul speaking, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. This is, by the way, this is a great philosophy that mature Christians take to, that I may gain the more. Verse 20, And under the Jews I became as a Jew, that I may gain the Jews, to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. And we can keep reading on. We've looked at the passage here in services recently. But what was Paul teaching? Paul was teaching that he wanted to live a lifestyle that gave him the best opportunity possible to reach as many people with the gospel as he could. All right, now, to the motorcycle preacher. Uh, these motorcycle preachers, they ride around on a Harley-Davidson uh, with a with a big handlebars and they've got the 10-inch beard and they've got the leather jacket and the leather pants and they've got a Jesus tattoo on their arm and they ride up in a big group. People who ride motorcycles, they're not intimidated by them. But how many of you, if that group of guys like that rode up on you and you're alone, how many of you would be a little intimidated? Now, I can walk up to them dressed just like this. And I can give them the gospel. I can also stoop down by a homeless man, as I have, dressed like this, and I can give him the gospel. What's the point? Conservative. Dressing conservative. Your dress ought not keep you from giving the gospel to other people. You ought to always be dressed in a way where you can give the gospel. You think to yourself, well, you know, I'm, I'm in a pair of yoga pants. Yoga pants are a sin. I'm just going to throw it out there now. They're a sin. I'm a man. I, I'm just going to tell you. Uh, uh, my eyes are drawn toward a woman that's wearing yoga pants. We'll get more to that in a minute. You ought not wear them out in public. my opinion, you shouldn't even wear them around the house. But uh, uh, you, you want to run out. Oh, I'm just going to run real quick to Walmart and back. What if the Holy Spirit pokes you in the chest and says, give that guy a track? You look down at yourself and you say... I'm not dressed in a way where I could give somebody a track because this would, they would look at me and say, you're a Christian and you're dressed like that? Listen, if that's the case, you have now stolen away an opportunity to do your duty as a Christian in sharing the gospel. Dress in a way that gives you the best opportunity to witness to others. Conservative. Letter C, notice modest. Modest. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And again, a very important passage for the message tonight. 1 Timothy 2. There are, there, especially kids in their 20s and 30s, there is a lot of resentment in children who grew up in Baptist churches in their 20s and 30s at this topic. And I'm going to tell you, I am from that generation, and I get the resentment. So if you're listening via live stream, or if you're pulling this up later on YouTube, and you're listening, please understand, I'm not trying to give you my opinion. I'm trying to teach you what the Bible says. Because that's what matters. If we're going to believe John 3.16, we've got to embrace this as well. 
While you're finding your way to 1 Timothy chapter 2, let me read Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 10. The Bible says, And behold, there met him a woman, speaking of the simple man that's wandering down the street, there met him a woman with the attire, the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. Here we see that the Bible talks about the attire of a harlot, of an harlot or a lady of the night. Does God care what you wear? Yes, He does. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Notice there the Bible says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in... Can we read those next few words out loud together? Modest apparel. Again, modest apparel. With shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or a costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now, all of my life I have heard preachers use this verse as to how women should define their wardrobe. I was told that modesty meant clothing that does not sit close to one's anatomy. To put it plainly, when the Bible says modest apparel, it means that you should not wear something that is too tight or something that exposes the sexual parts of your body. You should not dress in a way that could possibly cause a stumbling block to men. Let us not forget men are visually stimulated. We're visually stimulated. Men are turned on by what they see. Women are turned on by what they hear and feel. In preparation for this message, I did some investigating. I got out my private eye outfit. I got out my magnifying glass. I dug deep down into the Bible. I wanted to see exactly what they said. I've been told this my whole life. Is it really true? And by the way, I investigated this long before the message tonight. But let me just share with you what I found. I found that the Greek word for apparel in 1 Timothy 2.9 is the word, and write this down, katastole. K-A-T-A. S-T-O-L-E. K-A-T-A-S-T-O-L-E. Catastole. Now, why is that important? By the way, the, the, the Greek uh, doesn't fix the English. The English doesn't fix the Greek. But sometimes we can look at the Greek and we can pull out a really neat nugget, a really neat truth. Okay, The word catastole is very, very significant. In fact, if you would have been reading this during Timothy's time, the word catastole would have jumped off the page. Now, it doesn't mean anything to us, but it would have jumped off the page. The catastole was a particular type of garment that royal families wore that was very long and flowing. Long and flowing. What is a catastole? A catastole is a garment that is long and flowing. Meaning that the garments that you wear should not cling to your anatomy. Now, in all of the New Testament, every time that Scripture mentions clothing, it is done in a way that it is neutral in gender except for this verse. Again, in the New Testament. Ladies, let me help you with some guidelines when deciding what to wear. Now, these are principles. And I would encourage you, I'm going to give you four principles on how to decide what to wear. Let me encourage you to write these down and go back and review them later. Okay? You should avoid... First of all, you should avoid clothing that is too loose. Too loose. Now, what do I mean by that? 
I'm going to try to be as appropriate as I can, but too loose, meaning that uh, if you bend over in a certain way or you move in a certain way and it's too loose and it falls away from your body and exposes things that are not meant for anybody's eyes but your husband, it is too loose. You're to avoid clothing that is too tight. Too tight. What is clothing that is too tight? When it comes to your bottom half, you ought to be able to take your hand and reach behind you at the top, at the very top of your leg, and you ought to be able to get a handful of fabric. If you can't get a handful of fabric, then it's too tight. It's too tight. Ladies, let me encourage you with this as well. You should avoid clothing that is too low. Too low. Now, I'm going to stare at the pulpit when I say this. I'm probably going to turn beet red. I don't want to say this, but I need to say this. Ladies, do not wear your shirt in a way that ever, ever, ever exposes your cleavage. That is not godly. That is not modest apparel. That part of your body is only meant to be seen by one person, and so save it for that one person. The fourth principle to live by, you should avoid clothing that is too short. Too short. The Bible talks about the exposing of the thigh in regards to exposing nakedness. You say, how long should my clothing be? Well, it should come down to at least cover your kneecap. It should cover your kneecap, both when you're standing and you're sitting, and you will be safe. And ladies here tonight, you say, but pastor, those dirty-minded men, they should not be looking at my body. Matthew chapter 5 verse 28 would back up that sentiment. It, Jesus said, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her 100% in your heart. You are 100% correct. They should not be looking at your body. Should not be looking at your body. Brother Greer, what's that say? Do not read this sign. Brother, Brother, Brother Okai, what's this say? You can't see it. <laughs> Brother, he, he gave you a hint. Do not read the sign. They should not be looking at your body, but you should not be casting a stumbling block in front of them to be tempted to look at their body. You know, if I hold this up here, it's very hard not to read this. You know why? Because it tells you not to do it. And so your eyes are naturally drawn to it. Romans 14.13 says this, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Ladies, can I speak very... Can I speak from the bottom of my heart to you right here? Look at me if you would. There are enough women in this world that are trying very, very hard to provoke your husband and your sons to sin. They are trying to provoke them to both commit spiritual and physical adultery. What we need are women that are called Christians to be different and we need women who will help men along in this area. 
they will not assist in the process of mental adultery. Someone once put it this way, if your body is not for sale, then don't advertise it. If your body is not for sale, then don't advertise it. You may be sitting there thinking to yourself, who do you think you are telling me how to dress? Let me tell you who I am. I am a man. And as a man, I am more qualified to tell you what lust and temptations a man deals with than you will ever know. You will never know what a man deals with when it comes to lust and temptations. So if you have a pastor who keeps, does everything he can to keep his heart and his mind and his eyes pure, and he's standing here and he's telling you to be very, very, very careful, then you need to sit up straight and you need to listen. You need to listen. Let me help you with something. Go home and ask your husband this question, if you're married. If a young, attractive model wore the same outfit that I'm wearing and walked in front of you while you were alone in public, would you be tempted to have a sinful thought? Ask him that question. Now, if he says yes, men, please be honest with your wives, then you need to go and change your outfit. You need to change your outfit. We need to remember that the Bible is God's final authority. And learn that modesty, modesty is our goal. It would be a great idea to go through your closet and maybe throw out some things that don't please the Lord. Number one, we see action. Number two, we see admonition. Uh, We'll move quickly through the rest of the sermon. Number three, we see attitude. Back in Deuteronomy Attitude, number three. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7, the Bible says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Let us not forget this sermon is not only about how to dress, but it is a sermon about rearing our children to dress in the right manner. If dad and, this is very important I'm about to say, this is key what I'm about to say. If dad and mom always are dressed correctly, then it is so much easier to teach your children to dress correctly. If mom, you are always dressed in a modest way, you'll have no, you'll have a lot less issues getting your daughter to dress in a modest way. Dad, if you're dressed in a modest way, then you'll have a lot less issues getting your son dress in a modest way. I'm just going to say this tonight, and again, this might sound extreme. I know to our world it sounds extreme. Men, it's not okay to walk around with your shirt off. It's just not. That's nakedness. And God told Adam to cover that up in the Garden of Eden. And so cover that up. Besides, nobody wants to see that anyway. Amen? A man standing shirtless in his yard cutting grass and everybody pukes in their mouth. A girl's outside in, in, in in a bikini and she's cutting the grass, and guys are swerving off the road, running into the ditch. Modesty. If Dad, let me just ask this question. You might ask me this: At what age should I start dressing my little girls modestly? Is it a sin for a first grade girl to put on a bikini and go to a water park and run around? Um, I don't know, but I think it's very unwise. The question comes, if you're going to let them run around in a bikini at six years old, no normal-minded person will look at a six-year-old in lust. Now, there are some weirdos out there that would, but no normal-minded person would. Um, 
But when are you going to wait to change that? Are you going to wait till she's 13 and she's blossoming into a woman? And then you're going to tell them, oh, you got to stop wearing that. you got to stop wearing that. Oh, boy, you have a fight on your hands. You've got a big fight on your hands. Well, what? Me, me blossoming into a woman? Is that a sin? But if they're wearing the right thing at 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, then when they get to 13, they're still wearing the right thing. Listen, they're running around in that cute little outfit and it, it, it isn't real modest. You've seen some of these Halloween costumes that they put on these kids? It's like, what are you trying to dress them to be at that age? What are you doing? Let me just say tonight that the Bible tells us in Proverbs 22.6 that the prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. The simple pass on and are punished. Oh, it's cute at 4 and 5 and 6. It's not cute at 13 and 14 and 15. You say, how do I foresee the evil? Look down the road when they are older and back up and get them to dress now the way you want them to dress then. And by the way, if you want them to dress a certain way at that age, you better start dressing that way now as well. Number four, we see the word adversity. Look down at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 14. Deuteronomy 6.14 Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. It is okay if the boat is in the water. But it is not okay if the water is in the boat. You guys keep picking up what I'm putting down? It is okay if the boat is in the water. It is not okay if the water is in the boat. You say, Pastor, I'm... I'm not following you. Let me put it to you like this. It is okay if the Christian is in the world. It is not okay if the world is in the Christian. It is not okay. In fact, just as water in the boat will eventually sink the boat, world and the Christian will eventually sink the Christian. You won't lose your Christianity, but you'll lose your testimony. Where am I going with this? You know, I go to the mall and I go shopping for my children's clothes with my wife sometimes. I really try not to do that, but occasionally I'm drug into it and I have to. Uh, my wife does a good job of picking out the clothes and all that, and, and she's got great taste, obviously, so I, I leave all that to her generally. But there have been times where I've been in the mall and uh, with her, and you know, uh, how many of you are, men are like me? You take your wife to the mall and you're trying to leave. You know, you get in the middle of the mall and you're trying to get out. Maybe you parked outside of Penny's, and they've got to stop and look at every rack on the way by. Am I the only man that has to deal with that? Yeah. Oh, over here. Oh, oh, over here. It's like, I'm leaving. You know what I've learned to do? I don't break stride. I just keep going. And I just sit in the car and wait. <laughs> but uh, these clothing racks in the mall, you know what they're trying to do to your little girls? They're trying to get them to dress like tramps. They're trying to get them to dress like tramps. I'm amazed at how hard it is for us to find a modest outfit for my daughter. I'm amazed. They want your daughter at 8, 9, 10 years old showing off a midriff, showing off their legs. Why? Because if they can get them doing it at 8, 9, 10 years old, it won't be a problem at 14, 15, 16. Don't let the clothing racks at the mall dictate to you what your children are going to wear. You dictate to the clothing racks what your children are going to wear. It is not okay for the world to be in the Christian. It is not okay. This goes back to that swimming against the culture of the world. 
Number five, and lastly, we've looked at authority, admonition, attitude, adversity, and the fifth point is action. Action. Look down with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 18. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers. Thou shalt do that which is right, right and good in the sight of of the Lord, it says, that it may be well with thee. Action. You might be sitting here this evening and you realize that you have not been dressing appropriately and you ask, well, how do I change? Maybe you think to yourself, I'm the leader of my home and my family is not dressing modestly. How do I get this to change? Let me help you with this. I would recommend first, if you're married, husband and wife, you sit down together without the kids, and you talk it over. And and you come to some decisions and some agreements together that as a team... By the way, men, this is very important. Don't go into this without your wife's consent and help. You at least need to go in and hear her out and consider it. Come out as a team and sit down your family and say, we owe you all an apology. We have not been doing this right. We have not been doing this right. But beginning today, we're going to do it right. Here are the guidelines that we're going to live by. We're going to go through your wardrobes and we're going to toss out that which is immodest and we're going to replace them with things that are modest. And we are going to let the arrows of our fashion always point to our face. We are always going to let the arrows of our fashion, always we're going to let them point to our face And so that people are looking at our face and not tempted to look anywhere else. You need to say that firmly, but you need to tell your family that lovingly. And trust that God will help you to be consistent as you try to follow His plan uh, for your life. One more time, the purpose of this message is not to make anyone feel bad for the way they are dressed. That is not at all the purpose of this message. This is just simply your pastor with an attempt of doing it with a voice of compassion. I'm simply trying to complete my duty to preach the entire Word of God. I hope that you let the Bible dictate to you what is best and that you'll have an obedient spirit toward it. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening. Tonight we're not going to have a traditional altar call with a sermon like this. That would be awkward. Uh, Probably nobody would come, and that's fine. That's understandable. But I would like for you to take a moment, if you're sitting there with your spouse, if you just maybe hold their hand and, and pray with them and ask that God would help them with this. If you're here and you don't have a spouse, would you just bow your head and would you ask God to help lead you and guide you with what's right in this area? Would you have Him give you direction? Again, the goal is not for you to take Pastor Lejeune's standards and apply them in your heart. It's, it's to take God's standards and hold them high.